Let me tell you something just before Steve. I don't know, he might mention it during his preach. He might be stealing his thunder. Do you know, yesterday, quite a lot of people stood up to say, I want Jesus. That wasn't our plan to do it that way. We were going to have this whole thing where we called you forward and did a song and then whatever. But God has came in the room last night. Not last night. This, I did, obviously last night as well. But yesterday morning, God was clearly with us, wasn't he? But he started saying, you know what? I want Jesus. I want to follow him. And 120 people gave their life to the Lord for the first time yesterday morning. Woo! Isn't that exciting? And, and 43 people just said, I want to recommit and go for it. So isn't that wonderful? And so we have more opportunities to respond to the gospel and respond to what Steve's going to share to us this morning as well. Let's, let's welcome again, Steve Morris. Cool. I, um, I know you're probably thinking that um, it, this guy just went round as a young person showing his bum all the time and there was poo paper hanging out. There is no way that any woman in their right mind would marry him. I know that's what you're thinking at a time. So that's why your Moonian career had to come to an end. It has to come to an end at some stage. It is not going to get me married, I thought to myself. And, uh, and I was lucky enough about, um, I was about 24, I think, or 25. And I went out and I went for lunch with, um, with this young lady. Um, we, were, we were at like a work deal and uh, we went for lunch with it and the, the tables were full of guys there was only like blokes to talk to and you're meant to do a bit of a networking lunch type thing and then I saw this beautiful girl come in the room and, I, and you know where the bench you know if you sit in benches you know you're going to get stuck speaking to the person who's opposite you and I thought I need to make sure I'm sitting opposite this girl and I, and I, met, I let all the others go through no you first you first when I saw her move I was like right okay I'm in I'm going to sit down and, um, and uh, truth be told I told a few lies I did tell a few lies I was trying to impress her told her I was into a few things that I'm not into because, I, I, because she'd said she was into them like photography I really don't like photography at all but told her I was interested in photography because she was interested and um, I went home that day and I said to my friends this true story the guys that I lived with I said to them today I met the woman that I'm going to marry and about 18 months later this is a picture so this is 10 years ago now 10 years ago next month I know I know I know you're meant to do something clap or ah or something I don't know what you're meant to do but meant to do something right I know you you were just stunned you're like she's actually quite good looking I don't so you're stunned to science it's like she looks very normal. She's, she seems good looking. He's clearly batting way above his league. What did he do? And um, I want to tell you what I did. It was, it was once, it was her birthday. And um, I lived in London at the time, in East London, and it was her birthday. And I had this plan um, that I was going to tell her three words that change everything, right? You know what those words are, right? Okay. So I'm going to say, I love you. Okay. But nothing says I love you like a present, does it? So we had been to Brighton, and I know some of you are from Brighton. We had, yeah, I know, I know. We had been to Brighton, and we'd been walking on the seafront there where, where, the, where the beach is and everything. And she'd been in an art shop, and she had seen a painting that she really liked. It was a picture that she, she loved. And um, I thought to myself when we got home, I am going to make the effort to drive back to Brighton from London on my own. I'm going to buy the painting. I'm going to bring it and I'm going to present it as an offering of love. Because your love is worked out. It looks like something, right? And in this instance, it looked like that. So I go to Brighton. I pick up the painting. Got it in the car. I come back. This is amazing. It's still there. Because you're worried someone else is going to buy it, right? This is a moment, okay, when you're going to do it. I've got everything together. And um, I decide... uh, to say to, to Diana, my, my now wife, those three words. Now, if you present yourself in this way to say, I love you, 
you obviously expect three words back, don't you? You do. Four. I, I love you too. Oh, very clever. I see what you did there, girls. Four words back. I like this whole interaction thing. This is good. Um, four, yeah, true. But she could, I just, she could have just said, I love, I love you. I love you. I would have been happy with I love you. She didn't even say the four words of I love you too. Do you want to know what she said? I'll set the scene. I'm there. I've presented the gift. I'm awaiting. Babe, I did it because I love you. She then says three words. The first is, oh. Whoops. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. Ah! That is not what I was expecting. I almost wanted to demand my petrol money back and take the painting back to Brighton. That is not what I was expecting. But love looks like something, doesn't it? It's worked out. We get it. We get it that that when we love people, it's worked out. And I want to tell you that we've gone through a few parables. We've gone through this kind of idea of God wants you to be honest before him. And then God wants to pour his love out for you. And then that affects our eternity. But I also want to tell you the last truth I want to kind of leave you with is this. When we get that relationship right between us and God, when we really truly understand the love of God, we can't help but it start to spill out sideways into our other relationships. When we've really caught the love of God, when it's really captured our hearts, it will work its way out. And there was a parable, um, a very famous uh, parable that we're going to close on that Jesus told to help us to understand that. It's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's also in the Gospel of Luke. So all are from Luke. And this one comes from uh, Luke chapter 10. And you can follow it on the screen with me. It says this, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law, and how do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. That's what it means to get this vertical relationship right. Jesus is saying, If you really understand eternity, if you really understand my kingdom, then you'd want to love God with your heart, with your soul, with your strength, and with your mind. You'd want to get out. Now, I want to give you some advice outside of New Day. To do that in New Day, to love God and to hear about God, feels a lot easier. We've already spoken about that. But when you go home, I want to give you some practical tips to do this bit right first, to do that first. The first is really simple. Do it with your friends. Do it with your friends. Do it in community. Don't try and run this alone. One of the reasons you've had such a great week is because you have done it in community. You've been camping with people. You've been hanging out with friends. You've been with your church. And that is the place that God's given us for community. God has given us running partners, people that will run alongside us, people that will do faith with us, that will help us to love God. So I want to encourage you, when you go home, I want you to commit to your church community. I want you to commit to your youth group. I want you to prioritize it over other things. When your youth group puts an event, get there. When, you, when you're thinking about going out with friends, invite your mates from church. Build deep community. Spend time with your youth leader. I want to let you into a little secret, okay? Your youth leader probably has a budget in your church to take you to McDonald's and hang out with you. 
you didn't know that. I know, you didn't know that. And I'm going to South Africa, so they can't catch me afterwards anyway. They've got a budget, and most of the time they go to coffee shops to chat with you. If you turn the tables on them and say, I don't like coffee, but I love KFC, they take you to KFC. And here's the deal, they will probably pay. So who in their right mind would not hang out with a youth leader with their mates and go and get KFC? It's a given. It's a given. Hang I know. You can applaud that. It's done. It was a secret. I've let the secret out of the bag. They've even got to probably get you dessert. But they don't mind because the church is paying. And let me tell you why the church... I'm just saying on their behalf the church is paying. If the church doesn't pay, they'll probably pay, right? I... I'm telling you why. And they'll do it joyfully. Why? Because actually they're giving their time to want to invest in you. They are giving their time because they want to invest in you. So take it. Take advice. Bed yourself in the church. Learn to love God. I'm, I'm going to go way over time if I do. The next one is pray. Learn to pray. Learn to pray. Isn't it so encouraging that the disciples say, teacher, uh, say to Jesus, teach us how to pray? Wow, that was very loud. They say, teach us how to pray. If the disciples who were with Jesus all the time, still need to ask how to pray, then one of the great ways you'll get this relationship work is by learning to pray. The next thing is pick up the scriptures and open them for yourselves. Read, there's no shortcut to this. Learn to read the scriptures yourself. Ask in the seminars, how can I learn to pray? How can I read the Bible better? Ask your youth leader, ask your mates, how are you praying? How are you reading the Bible? And bed yourself into loving God. Next thing he says is this, love your neighbor as yourself. The natural outworking, if you do those things, is that you will learn to be someone who loves other people. And the world, your classroom, your classroom doesn't need me to come and preach in it. It needs you to go and show people that you love God so much that you're prepared to love them. That's what your classroom needs. That's what your community needs. That's even what your church needs. It needs you to go into it and love other people as if you were treating, treating them exactly how you would want to be treated. But that, he's not happy with that. The lawyer's not happy with that. Don't really like that answer. He's trying to catch Jesus out. He'd given, well, this is what it says. And, uh, and he says then, desiring to justify himself, he tries to catch Jesus out here. And who is my neighbor? Because he lived in a society where they were very divided. He lived in a society where it's easy to say, these people are my neighbors. The Jews that are like me, yes, I could, I could deal with loving them. But what about other people? And he's trying to catch Jesus out. He's trying, to, he's trying to force Jesus to say, actually, this message is only for a certain group of people. And this is what Jesus says. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell amongst robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, imagine the good news. You've gone down on this really dangerous road that everybody knows about it. You've been beaten up. You've been robbed. You've been caught out. And then the, scripture, the story leaves it hanging. And by chance... And by chance, a priest was going down that road. You're so lucky. You've just, you're feeling half dead. You're on a road. You've been totally attacked. You are so lucky that here is someone who leads your church. That's what they're saying. The priest is here to help you. In our context, that's the elder of our churches, the leader of our churches. If I was beaten up half dead on the road and I saw the leader of my church, I would be ecstatic. That's why it says by chance. But then what happens next? 
By chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. He passed on the other side. Your church leader, the impact of this story is your church leader walked past you, beaten up in the high street, on the side of the road, desperate for help, and they didn't just walk past you and ignore you, they actually crossed the road to avoid you. But don't worry, because there's somebody else coming. Likewise, a Levite, a Levite, someone who's known for helping out in the church, and in that context, the synagogue. Perfect. Now one of the other leadership teams, maybe it's your youth worker. Your youth worker. I remember at New Day, they were meant to buy me KFC. Now the least they can do is help me. A Levite goes past. The Levites were known for helping out in the synagogue. The priest was the head of the synagogue. Bear in mind, he's asking this from a Jewish perspective. He's thinking that the answer's going to be, love the Jews. He's trying to catch Jesus out. And then Jesus says this, when he came to another place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But then, a Samaritan. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. A Samaritan. The enemies of the Jews. Considered to be part of a different cultural group that was inferior. If they were doing a ranking system, they would have put Samaritans as worse than tax collectors. And I told you about tax collectors. Tax collectors couldn't testify in court, couldn't give money to the synagogue. Samaritans would have been an even further out, an outcast group to the Jews. The bad guys with a notorious reputation. So your church leaders walked past you. Your youth leader has walked past you. And now a bully from your local school turns up. A bully. Everybody's enemy. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what Jesus is saying. And this is what he does. He went to him. He bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal. He brought him to an inn and he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii. I just want to tell you that one denarii was a laborer's wage for the day. This is in a context where most people are being paid daily and they've just got enough to keep themselves going. They often only had two sets of clothes, right? So they didn't have the wealth that we had and they weren't accumulating all the wealth. He left the equivalent of two days' wages on the average that it cost at that time to stay in a hotel or in, in an inn that, that they had left them in. Two denarii would have been enough to look after the man for three and a half weeks, Three and a half weeks. The average hotel in the UK overnight probably cost 40 quid. He gave enough for someone to stay for three and a half weeks. And then he says this, take care of him to the innkeeper. He says, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Then Jesus just asked the most obvious question ever. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell amongst the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Please note, he dislikes Samaritans so much that he can't even say the Samaritan. He doesn't even want to call him by name. Doesn't even want to name that people group. He says, the one who showed him mercy. 
And Jesus says, then you go and do likewise. The natural outworking of an authentic life that loves God is that you'll love people. So, many, so often we get to the point where we hear what we heard yesterday, which is that our lives for eternity, we can give our lives to Christ and we can spend an eternity with him. And we think, okay, then well, I'll just wait. I'll either die or Jesus will return and then I can go and enjoy eternity. And we forget that in this time of waiting for Jesus to return or waiting for our days to be up, the call on our lives is to love God with everything that we've got, with our heart, mind, our soul and our strength. And every time we come before God with that kind of love, it will naturally overflow that we love people. Go from new day and love God and love people. That's what this commission is telling you to do. Leave New Day and decide in your heart, I'm going to be someone in my class that's known for loving people. I was known for mooning. How boring is that? Be known for someone who would love other people, who puts other people first, and even be daring enough to love other people that everybody else hates. This is where I work. It's called Freyhrund. It's um, a picture of where we work. It's over the road from where I work. This is the area that everybody has forgotten. This is the one square kilometer, which is such a small area. It's not even probably, I don't even know if this site is one square kilometer. In that one square kilometer, they built homes for 8,000 people to live. And they assumed that five people were going to share a one-bedroom house. That picture that you're looking at there has one of those houses straight in front. And they've built a house behind and a house in front and a house just off to the side. There are one, two, three, four families that are living on that one plot where that woman is sitting outside. That means there could be anywhere up to 20 people living in that one square plot outside. And the plots go on and on and on. In an area that was planned for overcrowding to have 8,000 people, there are now 42,000 people living. There is no clinic. There is no high school. There are gangs constantly that roam these areas. And there could be no hope. But over the road from that place there, this is what we've built. If you show the next picture. That's the Sosa Foundation. That's what, when I said we raised the money, that's what we've built. And literally, literally, graphically, we've put down the nicest building we could ever in amongst an area where everybody else would forget. Because we like nice buildings? No. But because we want to love our neighbours. And we want to tell them they're so worth a nice building. When people come into that building, they say, I can't believe the excellence you've done it with. But we want to do it with excellence because that woman sitting outside her house deserves excellence. She deserves a love that's more than me just saying it's about, it's about me loving God. It must look like something in that community. It must transform and, and move out from our church buildings into our communities because we love God and we love people. There's 160 young people every day that come through that center and experience the love of God every single day. One of them is this young man called Jean Katasi. He's a friend of mine. I think the next photo is a picture of him. This is Jean He's standing in, out of, opposite that building, and then the primary school is behind him. Jean came to our education project, and we loved him. He came, and we taught him skills to be able to get him prepared for work. We spent six months, day in, day out, showing him the love of God. I prayed with him that he'd be able to get a job. He was offered a job, and his job fell through. 
Can you imagine how painful it is when you live in those conditions and you're offered a job that would offer you a salary almost as high as what your dad is earning and then it fell through? Can you imagine the disappointment? To add to that disappointment, two weeks later, he was caught in the crossfire of a gang fight. People shooting and stabbing and fighting. He was trying to run away and he was stabbed in his shoulder and he fell and he grazed the side of his face and he had bruises all above his eye. But where did he come? It came to where he knew he'd been loved by Christians. He came to the center and he sat with me and he said, can we pray together again? I'm, I've been beaten up over there. I said, John, it's got, I've got good news for you. Over the road, they're looking and they have a bursary to train primary school teachers. I think you could do it, mate. I think you should put in an application. He goes over the road to put in an application and the lady says to him, at the moment, you look like you've just been caught in a fight because he had, okay? She says, go home, two weeks, let everything heal and then come back and we'd love to interview you. Two weeks later, he's interviewed in his own community for a job to be a training primary school teacher and he gets the job. This is taken on the first day of work. On his first day of work, we take this photo. I now, from my office, from my uh, place of work, which is the Sose Foundation, I look over the road, and we've now placed two young people who are training to be teachers, Jean and his friend Kelly Ann, also from our centre. They every day love the children in their community. They love the kids in that school that's overcrowded and under-resourced, but they show them what it means to be loved. Why? Because we first showed them what it means to be loved. Why? Because God first showed me what it was like to be loved. And the natural outworking of God loving me is that I went and I loved somebody else. Do you know why I like his story? Because he has every reason to take his salary and move out of that area, but he's decided not to. He's decided to stay. He's decided to stay because he knows what it is to love the children in his own community and transform them and see a community transformed. Here's my problem. I only know about that one square kilometer. My life isn't about stages, guys. We get this privilege of coming to speak on stages a few times a year. My life, most of the time, is spent pretty much every day, 40 hours a week, in this one square kilometer. Loving whoever comes through the doors, trying to show them the love of Christ, trying to introduce them to the love of Jesus. I want to encourage you that an authentic life of somebody who loves Jesus will naturally spill out into the fact that they'll love other people. Now answer me this, where do you spend the most of your week? Picture it in your mind right now. Picture where you spend most of your week. At school. Picture the classroom. Picture the people in the classroom. Physically, go around your classroom and picture the people who are in your classroom or in your workplace if you're a youth leader or in your community. And now tell me, as you watch every one of those faces and you know who's in there, who is God asking you to love? Maybe it's a friend. Now look across that classroom and tell me who's the person in your class that no one speaks to? Who's the person that everyone takes the mick out of? Who's the person who's being... Uh, uh, the person who's right on the margins, right on the edge. And perhaps God would ask you to go and show love to them. Perhaps you need to go back and change where you sit in the class when you go back next year as a statement that you love God. So therefore you'll love people and you'll do things differently. Perhaps you need to treat your teacher differently. 
Because you love God. And you know that the natural outworking of God is that you love people. Some of you, I believe, as we stand and as we finish, will be given a nation that you will love. Some of you will be given a different community that you will love. Some of you will be called to a different area for the future. And that's okay. The first time I dreamt about going to Africa was probably 15 years ago. 17 years ago. And it took a long time for that to be worked out. But I believe God could press in a situation, a people group, an area, a school, a job that he would love you to do. He'd call some of you to be nurses today. He'd call some of you to be teachers today. He'd call some of you to Africa today. He'd call some of you to India today. He'd call some of you to the Far East because that's what God does. He'd call some of you to move no more than one mile from where you live right now for the rest of your life. And that's just as valid as what I'm doing because you are loving people. This isn't a contest as to who can go the furthest. It's simply a question as to how far are we gonna love? How much are we gonna commit? How much are we gonna give? Geographically, it doesn't matter one bit where you do this. God isn't more impressed with me because I do it in Africa than in England. God just would peel down from heaven, look into your heart and say, are you ready to love? Are you ready to love? Are you ready to lay it all down? Are you ready to lay down the title of being cool? Are you ready to lay down the title of, uh, of being popular? Are you ready to lay down what it means to, 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 uh, to hold status? And are you willing to serve and love those that you will be with day in, day out. A genuine, genuine Christian who loves God cannot help but love people. So it's one thing to clap, isn't it? It's the real thing to go and do it. And I know that some of you are gonna, gonna wanna respond to this. I'm gonna ask the band to come and join me. And... Uh, we haven't got loads of time left. In fact, we're over time, but that's the way we roll. But if you're, if you're saying, you know what, I, got, I, I already know Jesus a day, but I get this. I want to do this. Or maybe you know Jesus a long time, you're thinking, but I feel the challenge. I want to live for Jesus. I want to go and do something that demonstrates God's love to other people. And uh, maybe just feeling the Holy Spirit on you right now, thinking, yeah, there is a situation that I need to go and deal with. There's a, there's a people that I'm called to. Maybe something for the future. Maybe something right now. Maybe a person in your classroom. If that's you, why don't you just stand up? Say, you know what? There's people I want to go and love. There's people I want to go and show Jesus love to. You can do that. You stand up. We're going to pray a simple prayer now. And the prayer is basically help. <laughs> because we can't do this in our own strength. Our love for people runs out if it comes from us. When it comes from God, it's an everlasting source of love and compassion for others. When it's done because you want to glorify Jesus, when it's done because you want to see others know Jesus, actually you get the Holy Spirit's help to do it. So why don't we ask the Holy Spirit for help? And as a sign to say we want to receive that help, why don't we hold our hands out? It often helps me when I'm being prayed for. I'm praying to God, saying, God, I need your help. And this is a physical way of just saying, God, my hands are out. I just want to receive. So wherever you are right now, just put your hands out. Close your eyes. Just picture the thing that you're asking God's help for. And then I'm going to pray for us. Father God, we want to thank you for just your amazing grace. For the gift of love that we see at the cross. Your son dying in our place. Dying for the things that we have done. That we might receive your righteousness. That we might know right relationship with you. 
what an amazing privilege that is. What an amazing uh, position that we find ourselves in. But God, we don't want to keep it to ourselves. We want to give it away. Knowing that when we do, we don't lack anything. We just get more poured in, Lord God. Lord, let us be just a channel of your love and blessing to other people. And I just thank you for the situations, the nations, the people, the places that you've placed in the hearts of all these young people in this room right now. And Lord God, we just say, help. We can't do this by ourselves, Lord God. We want to do greater things than we can do in our own strength. We want to do it in your strength, in your power. So Jesus, come by your Holy Spirit right now. Give us all that we need. Give us courage. Help us to be those who are brave and bold, who don't shrink back when it's difficult, but press in and press on. Holy Spirit, come upon your people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.